get your head in the game. Welcome, everybody. This is Ball Up Top Basketball Philosophy for February the 17th, 2022. I'm your host, Mike, and this week we're going to kind of cover point guards. And not so much point guards. When I say point guards, I include point forwards. We're going to cover guys who run the offense, essentially. Traditionally, that's always been point guards. But for those of that you don't know or you're the first time to the show, basketball philosophy is not like a debate show. It's not a hot take show. It's not one of those things where we're trying to push your opinions one way or another. It's more of just a discussion about basketball itself. It's the fun, it's how the fundamentals of the game play out. It's roles of players. It's teams and narratives. It's things to where what what actually happens coming up with commonalities, coming up with understandings and phrases and what they what they mean and how they're implemented. I say all that to sit there and say that this is not where you come for hot takes. So, point guards traditionally have been the players that, well, actually, let's, you know what, let's go back to the olden days. And when I say olden, I'm talking about the 50s and 60s. Point guards during that time, the Bob Cousy's, their roles essentially were very similar to point guards today when it came to scoring and distribution. There was a, and... Scoring was secondary as it was. It was still a big man's league as getting the ball to your big man. Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell, those type of players. Um, That role would kind of hang around for a while. But it became even more big man centric as you get into the 70s and 80s with Kareem and Bill Walton and Patrick Ewing and Hakeem Olajuwon. Bob Lanier, like, it became more about dumping the ball down low. Just repeated dumping. The game was an inside-out game. So your the point guard position kind of evolved from going in the late 80s into the early 90s into being a floor general. You're the guy not just making sure that the, your, your main focus on the offense, which usually was a big at that time, got his touches, but everybody was getting their touches. And the thing is, is, point guards themselves, though ball dominant, were often not even looking to score. Look at point guards like Mark Jackson, where they would orchestrate the. When I say not score, I mean, I'm not even talking about necessarily getting the assists. A lot of times it might have been the play that led to the play, or as what's sometimes referred to as the hockey assist. These things were. Why part of the reason why the game was slowed down? Thing, um, you think of like the the mid '90s and late '90s, early 2000s when games became more of a grinded out kind of thing, because it was about running the offense itself. It was about getting people in their positions. So then we hit, I want to say, the very late '90s, and Allen Iverson comes onto the scene. Iverson was a score-first point guard. He was almost a score-only point guard. 
and the league really hit, we had some flirting with players who were like that, but nobody who was a dynamic player like that. And Iverson started this change to what we have now. And we went from that to guys like Steve Nash. And there's a lot of all-time greats I'm going to go back to, but I'm just kind of tracing the evolution of this. Steve Nash was a drive and kick, which you see very prevalent in today's game. Chris Paul, LeBron James, even though he's not a point guard, he's more of a point forward. Um, James Harden, like there are these guys, Russell Westbrook, that are very much drive and kick. They, it's, they are going to get their points or they're going to kick out for you to get a jump shot. Um, the biggest difference with that is it was that mindset was no longer about the whole team as it became about your primary ball handler, your, which, which became your best player, your James Hardens, your Russell Westbrooks, your LeBrons. It became about them and bring about putting all the focus on them, creating open opportunities for other players. But those other players were then pigeonholed to being corner three-point shooters or not so much, not even slashers as much. I mean, this is how the the, the this this drive and kick out is how the three-point era began. Um, and so, and that's kind of where we are now. Chris Paul is probably actually the best when it comes to point guards of the drive and kick out. Then you had other guys. Like, the all-time leader in assists is John Stockton. And Stockton got most of his off of pick and rolls, which is also prevalent in today's game, just not as much as it used to be. Um, but Stockton was also a floor organizer. Jason Kidd was kind of a combination of Stockton and a combination of Magic. Magic was an interesting breed. What he did was, in the half court, he organized. And he would make sure everybody, you know, he would make sure that his primary guys, James Worthy, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, like, they would get their, they would get their shots. They would get their, their post moves. They would get their opportunities. Um, not, Cooper would get some slashing. Darwin Scott would get some slashing. And then in the fast break, whoever ran with him got the ball. In half court, if he made slashes, he, he, he could get you the ball. There, James Worthy tells a story about like how he was told that Magic said he could give him the ball anytime he wanted to. And James was doing something and Magic threw the ball and hit him in the back of the head because he wasn't, he wasn't keeping, looking out for the ball. Then you have guys like LeBron. As I mentioned earlier, Brian is a drive and kick guy. That's who he is. Um, it's not that he can't do other things because he's he's got he's got some of the best court vision I've ever seen. Um, league history, he's a top twenty passer. Once again, passing and assist are not the same thing necessarily, but he is definitely a top twenty passer. He also turns the ball. The part of the reason he's his not higher ranked, despite the fact that you'll hear a lot of people be like, oh, he's the second greatest passer of all. No, no he's not. Because he turns the ball over a lot. Sometimes he tries to force passes that aren't there. 
Um, but he also finds passes that no one else could see was there. So he's kind of a mixed bag. He kind of reminds me about Kobe. Like people used to call Kobe like the best tough shot maker. LeBron is one of the best tough pass makers. But you have, there's, then there's, you know, you have a lot more. There's a traditional point guards are kind of going by the wayside to a degree. Um, in the current league, uh, Tyrese Halliburton is probably the closest to a traditional point guard I've seen in a while. Rajon Rondo is a traditional point guard. So they're still in the league. They're just not as prevalent as they used to be. Which is kind of interesting because we've become more of a stat-driven league. Um, Mark Jackson, number five all-time right now in assists, was in the league, I want to say... I don't, it was what twenty. He was at twenty two when he got in the league. Left at thirty eight. So we're talking about sixteen years. He was a true point guard. And I'm going to get to the the defensive side of point guards here in a second. But Mark Jackson only led the league in assists one time. And that season was also the season where he. Spent part of that, he spent majority of that season in Denver, which was bad in the last 30 games in Indiana, and his numbers dropped. It went from 12.3 assists to 9.8, and that was his best assist year. He only had one other year where he was above 10, and that was his rookie year, but he knew how to organize an offense. He was the extension of the coach on the floor. In today's game, what's happened is your best player typically. Is the guy whose ball is always the ball is always in his hands, and he's making all the decisions. The problem is, it's also why I feel like, to some degree, some of the best players don't get championships, and it's kind of like when you're when your best player constantly has the ball at the top of the key. That means at all times for the other team, there's probably five sets of eyes staring at him. Like he's got, he's, he's the, not only is he the focal point, but he's at a focal point on the floor. It makes it really easy to keep track of where he's at. So you look, Chris Paul, NBA Finals, no championship. There was, there was, LeBron being an exception to this rule, but also if you look at LeBron's teammates, he's had some really great finishers and scorers and D Wade and Bosh and Kyrie and Anthony Davis. Um, Steph Curry is an exception to the rule because usually it's Draymond who runs the offense. Steph does also, but he his he plays more of a Reggie Miller role in his team's offense. But if you, if you look, if you go back through NBA history, like you have Tony Parker for the Spurs, but Tim Duncan was was the man. Um, the best player for the Mavericks was that was Dirk. The best player for the Lakers was Kobe. The point be the the point being is like usually that guy at the top of the key, if your point guard is your best player. Usually you're not going to win championships. 
Not always, just usually. Because there's too much focus on that one person. They, they, they don't have to account for him beyond the block. Now, what does that also do is that makes that one person have to work harder. For example, if, if you watch Kobe or Jordan, they go to that pinch post. And they would they could casually walk down to that pinch post. They didn't have to drive down with the ball. They just walked down there and post up. And then someone would dump the ball. Now they're in their score zone. They're in a place they want to be. But they also didn't have to work as hard to get that to get closer to the basket. Where if you watch James Harden, like Harden's dribbling the ball, pounding the ball at the top of the key, and if he launches a three or he's gonna drive. But either way, like he's never not accounted for. He doesn't, like, when people talk about how he burns out at the end of the seasons and he's tired, or they'll say, like, oh, well, people need to preserve their energy for offense. The reason why is because their their team is so reliant upon them, sometimes wrongly, but they're so reliant upon them that, yeah, they're they're putting everything they have on offense. The problem with that that style is that you have other players on your team who are capable of other things that get to they get put and pigeonholed into a role that might not even be the best role for them, but it's the best role for your best player, for, for them to have to play with your best player. And these roles are, they're long-standing roles. Like LeBron has essentially been playing the same way since high school. And it, it's worked for him and he's been great about it. And, but he's like, he doesn't have to play off the ball very much. He's not forced. He's not asked, even asked to really. He, a little bit with, and if you watch, it's not his strength. And I'm not saying like some people are like, oh, well, he can't. I'm not saying he can't. I'm saying it's not his strength because he's never been forced to cultivate it. So these point guards, these point forwards have gone from being floor generals, getting everyone in their spaces to being focal, complete 100% focal points of offense. And when it comes to driving, kicking, pulling for three, spreading the floor, like they're your one-stop shop for your offense. The question then becomes is like, well, where do we go next? Well, it's, it's, it's the next evolution of positionless basketball. Um, a good example is the Milwaukee Bucks. Sometimes Middleton's bringing up the court. Sometimes it's Holiday. Sometimes it's Giannis. Sometimes it's Grayson Allen for crying out loud. But that role is constantly changing without rhyme or reason. It's for it does force a lot more isolation play. But with the only team that runs a a non isolation, non pick and roll offense right now is probably Golden State. And that's because they have something that most teams don't have in Steph Curry. Or a Steph Curry-like player. But point guards, the, the overall the positions just evolve from being a scorer to a, to a floor manager. To an assist maker, to a scoring and assist maker, to probably being your team's best player. But really quick, we got to talk about defense. Because defense is the other half of that game. And what happened is point guards became the, 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 tip, of the tip of the spear defensively. 
And they started looking for more ball hawking type players. You guys got, I mean, these older, but Ray John Rondo, Chris Paul, these guys who were meeting people far be you know, around half court and riding them up and down the court. And that all goes into the floor general leadership thing. Like this is about setting a tempo, which, you know, is the same thing you do on offense. I'm going to go back to Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson was not a great defender, but he was very, he had good lateral movement and he would put his body on people. And that's how he would set tempos on defense. And on offense, he would say he would set the tempo. It was very simple. If you watch the Pacers during that time period, you knew that if Rick Smiths didn't get off early, that he could be a, he could become a non-factor in the game. So, Mark would dribble the ball down, or sometimes because of how defenses had hand checking, he'd back the ball down, and we'd dump it down to Rick Smiths, or they would get Rick Smiths a mid-range jumper. But early in the games he would make a concentrated effort to get Rick Smith involved. Um, Gary Payton is another good one. Gary Payton is the best example of the tip of the spear. D was there defensively, and he wanted to he wanted to attack you on defense. That's part of the reason why he was a defensive player of the year. His best year for steals was 2.9 steals per game. Uh, excuse me. So he wanted to attack things where he was not as strong offensively when it comes to, like, he was not a drive and dish point guard. He was a floor organizing point guard. Um, His best year with assists was nine a game, which was actually his last, I think his last full season in Seattle. But he and Sean Kemp were, at least in my lifetime, the original Lob City. So, he he also knew how to use Hersey Hawkins and Kendall Gill. Like, he did a good job of making sure his teammates all felt a part of the game. Because what sometimes happens is, and this is how, and it affects defense. If your guys on offense... Or don't feel like they're a part of the offense. The effort on defense sometimes isn't there. Like them feeling like they're a part of the offense engages them. Like people wonder why the triangle works so well. Because if you really look at that Bulls, those Bulls teams, they would have they had, they had two elite players. They'd have two really good. Each one had one really good player. And then they would have a bunch of role players. And some of those role players couldn't defend to save their life. But what they would do is they were in, the triangle forced everyone to be a part of the offense, which made them feel more like they were involved, which also helped spur them on in the defense. But that's just a little conversation about like the, the point guards, and you know I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. Um, hit me up on Twitter at Ball Up Top Pod or on Instagram at Ball Up Top Podcast. You know, love to hear your opinions, conversations, you got an idea for basketball philosophy, hit me up with that. Until then, everybody stay safe. Get your head in the game.